You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. Now, you're probably familiar with the knee-high rubber boots that Lacrosse has made for many, many, many years. Uh, this is a 100-year-old company, and uh, they got the rubber boot game locked up. But did you know that they have a new series of boots called the Navigator Series, and it's kind of a, a mix of their traditional rubber boot mixed with a hunting boot or a kind of a hiking boot. Uh, it's called their Navigator Series, and that Navigator Series comes in two different uh, boots. One is the Atlas, and one is the Windrose. So uh, head on over to lacrossefootwear.com and check out the Navigator Series, lacrossefootwear.com. Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. My name is Dan Johnson, and this podcast is brought to you by Vortex Optics. Now, I apologize first and foremost for not getting out content. I've been fighting some uh, technical issues. Uh, I didn't know all of a sudden that uh, when you update one software you have to update like seven softwares uh, when all this uh, different softwares when all this uh, editing and recording and uh, my computer so it's been a a bit of a son of a bitch uh, to say the least but I'm back I'm back in the game and uh, today's podcast is going to be an awesome podcast to get back into the swing of things it's a straight up BS session with uh, a guy out of southern Indiana. His name's Phil Coast, and uh, he just laid down a giant during muzzleloader season. And uh, today we're going to BS for most of the podcast, and then he's going to share the story about this uh, this awesome buck that he shot earlier this week, I think, uh, or last week uh, when he, is when he shot it. Um, but uh, uh, I did an Instagram story a while back of... The, some of the the duties that I have I you know I I work from home and then on two of the days three of the days sometimes I have the kids so I'm daddy daycare I'm babysitter I'm house husband whatever you want to say and uh, I've been having these I, I, I jumped into the laundry the other day and I did a lot of laundry started folding and I had 18 different socks whether it was my socks or the kids' socks or my wife's socks, that I could not find the uh, I could not find matches to, and it just blew my mind uh, the amount of uh, the amount of uh, 
uh, socks that get lost, right? And I'm not going to sit here and say my house is clean because it's not. Uh, they're probably mixed within the toy boxes. They're probably in cars. They're probably uh, still at Target or Walmart or wherever the kids go. My youngest son, he takes his, he doesn't like to wear shoes or socks. So we get him in the car and then he takes uh, his shoes and his socks off. And so I always get a funny look when I go into the grocery store and I have uh, one of my kids not wearing any shoes or socks because I sure shit ain't going to keep putting them on every time he takes them off. So I look like a little bit of a white trash family every once in a while, but I'm okay with it because uh, they're happy and I'm happy. And uh, that's a rant. That right there is what we call a rant. And um, uh, I forgot what I was going to get into. Oh, we got to do a commercial real quick. And that's Vortex Optics, right? Um, I don't know really what to say about Vortex that already hasn't been said, man. This company is absolutely amazing. Uh, they have a warranty that is second to none in the optics industry, right? Uh, if you run over your spotting scope or you drop your binoculars or your house catches on fire and you can send it back to them in a box, they will fix it or replace it for you for free, no cost. It's almost like once you buy one pair of their binoculars or set of optics, you are set for life because of their warranty, right? I've uh, cracked a seal on my, uh, let's see, I've cracked a seal on my binoculars. So when you look through it, it looks real foggy. Send it in, they fixed it. Um, uh, had On my binoculars, uh, the, the one of my kids dropped it out of the truck and it landed on concrete and it broke the uh, eyepiece off. Sent it in, they fixed it. Um, so that right there just is an example of their customer service and how they treat their customers. Not to mention that the product alone is absolutely amazing. These guys put a lot of energy uh, and time into their optics and the production of them so that when you're out in the field or, or on the range or you know practicing, whatever, these guys have products that are going to make you more successful. Um, so if you guys want to find out more information about Vortex and their line of rifle scopes, binoculars, uh, range finders, spotting scopes, go to vortexoptics.com. All right, that's the commercial. Uh, we've paid the bills, so now let's get into today's BS session with Phil Coast. All right, on the phone with me today is Philip Coast. What's up, man? Oh, not much. What's going on? Uh, so here's the deal. Uh, you sent me an Instagram message of a slammer uh, that you <laughs> shot uh, here recently, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to talk all about, uh, you know, where you hunt, how you hunt. We're going to talk about this buck. We're going to talk about your season. But before we get started, why don't you uh, fill us in on where you live and what do you do for a living? Um, I live down here in southern Indiana, uh, right across the river from Louisville, Kentucky. Um, I am an estimator for uh, Hazen Sons Restoration. Uh, we fix people's houses after fire damage, water damage, stuff like that. So gotcha. I travel a lot for work. So mm -hmm. uh, someone has uh, their kitchen burns down and you go in and you say it's going to cost this much to, to fix it. Yep. So does that go yes, back? Yes, sir. More or less. A... 
Do you uh, turn that information into the uh, insurance companies, or does that come back to your company and you have to work with the insurance companies? Uh, We typically get calls from the insurance companies to actually go out and look at the property. Um, Sometimes we get homeowner referrals that they call us to come in and bid it before the insurance company comes. But most of the time we actually work with the insurance company to agree upon a cost to actually fix the house. Gotcha. Gotcha. So have you ever walked up to a property or uh, a a damaged home or whatever and went, holy shit, what happened here? (laughs) Like I can just imagine you see, you see some of the craziest things. Oh, it's, it's insane. Um, you'd be amazed at how some people live to be a hundred percent honest with you. Um, I mean, I've seen some crazy like hoarders, the show. I don't know if you remember that. My wife loves that show. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, there's some houses that they are so nasty. You can't even put on those shows. So it's, it's pretty bad. I've seen some of those. Um, yeah. I've seen some pretty nasty stuff, man. So do you ever have to report back to your job and say, well, I think it would be best if we start by burning down the rest of the house? (laughs) Yes, actually, we have tore down multiple houses. Uh, I've had insurance adjusters argue with me, well, you can save this wall and this wall. And I said, okay, so you're saving two out of ten walls. You don't (laughs) want to just tear it down and start over? And they're just like, well, I mean, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, positive, positive. We can tear down the house for a lot cheaper and put it back <laughs> yeah that's nuts man uh, that's nuts so uh yeah. do you do so you have to deal with stuff like uh, uh here's one thing that always kind of blew my mind in college we had this buddy who would come home from the bars and he would start cooking food and then he would pass out on the couch and his macaroni would start on fire or his uh his pizza would stay in the oven and, and catch on fire and then we the, the smoke alarms in the building would go off do you ever have to deal with uh, things like that where, uh, you know, a guy fell asleep with a cigarette in his hand or passed out drunk and his food was on the stove? Um, yeah, all the time, actually. that's a, It's actually really common. Um, people that are actually awake and doing stuff and, you know, they're cooking bacon. I've had probably half a dozen. I've been doing this for 10 years, I guess. Um, yeah, a little bit over 10 years, actually. And uh, a common one's bacon. People yeah. cook bacon, and then they walk away from the bacon. Well, bacon, that grease, you know how it gets so hot so quick. Well, that protein fire, and it catches, and it smokes everything. Yeah. I mean, smokes everything. I've had people, uh, women will run a bath and forget they had an appointment, and then they leave. Well, their bathtub's on the top floor. And then they leave, they're gone for four hours, and they never turn the bath off. Oh, my Lord. And it floods their entire house, and you come inside, and it's literally raining on your first floor. Oh, my Lord. Like, and they're like, it's crazy. Yeah, I tell you what, man. I would have, years ago, before kids, I would have said, hey, man, that person's an idiot. That person is stupid. But now that I have three kids... I know what it's like to have to drive halfway down the block, turn around and say, well, shit, I forgot to turn the coffee pot off or I have the front door wide open or, you know, it's just like you lose track and, you know, accidents happen. But, uh, man, that's crazy. That's a that's a unique job. Um, 
having to see a lot of uh, crazy stuff, man. On this on this podcast, man, I've uh, interviewed guys who make bombs for the military to, you know, firefighters, you know, firefighters and stuff. Yeah. So I always like to uh, talk to people about what it is that they do because, man, everybody's got a crazy story, even if you're like, you know, an accountant or something like that. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, it's it's definitely interesting. It keeps uh, I think that's why I've done it for so long. It keeps me entertained and I feel like um I feel like I actually do get to help people. Yeah. Um cuz not, you know, honestly 80, I'd say probably 80% of my customers are extremely appreciative. Yeah. of what I do for them. And then you have that 20% that just thinks everybody owes them something. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's those other those other homeowners that are just super appreciative and thankful that you're there to, you know, put their, put their lives back together in a sense, because I mean, I don't know. I mean, I know you've been doing a, I follow you on Instagram, obviously. Um, but you've been doing a remodel. Yeah. Correct? Uh, yeah. I, I turned, so, uh, my loft into an office above my garage. Yeah. So like any remodel or anything like that, it, it disrupts your lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're, you're there, you're trying to live there and it's just, it's a hectic time. So I guess one of the gifts God gave me is, you know, I'm, I'm pretty calm in stressful situations. Right. So when it comes like when I'm meeting a homeowner, I mean, you got to think I get to meet a homeowner on pretty much the worst day of their lives. Yeah. Like my house burned down, my house flooded. And I just, you know, I walk in and I'm like, Hey guys, you know, we're, we're going to get you fixed up. And they're just like, Oh, okay. You know, and like I said, 80% of those customers are super happy. And the other 20 are like, I don't care who you are. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, absolutely. But it's good. I love my job. So. Well, that's good, man. It, it makes uh, the rest of the life easier if you love your job. Yeah, they give me a lot of vacation time, too. So. And uh, that's the perfect transition into what we're going to be talking about today, which is the outdoors and hunting and stuff. And the first question I have about that is, What's uh what's the terrain like? What uh at a high level talk about southern Indiana, talk about the terrain, talk about uh you know what you do on a on an annual basis in the outdoors. Um well my season starts pretty much as soon as the season ends. Um I typically run a lot of trail cameras um on my main farms just to, a lot of you know I run them I start running them in late June, first part of July. Um to get an inventory on what we're looking at. Did all my deer make it through the winter? Um, that's when I start running trail cameras, but we start shed antler hunting in usually February. Um, this past year, I uh, was bored, got off work early one day, and went and hit a field, and I found my first antler January 9th this year. This year? So, uh, or, well, this 2019. Well, January 9th this past That's year. Right. Okay. Yeah, 2019. I found my first antler in, on January 9th, and um, that really triggered – my girlfriend was so mad at me most of the, most of the winter, uh, January, February, and March, because it was every weekend starting in January, and normally I don't start until mid in February, but I was hiking. like I found ended up finding almost 30 antlers, I think. That's a good year, man. So we found, it's my best one so far. Yeah. So, and it actually, leading up into that, I mean, uh, but that's how my season starts. Uh, and then the the hills, um, southern Indiana has a lot of hills, um, river bluffs, 
big ravines, um, a lot of crop and ag field, um, big hardwood ridges. So a lot of white oaks, red oaks, uh, persimmon trees are real big. We got a lot of persimmons this year. So, yeah. So, uh, let's, yeah. let's touch on shed hunting uh, a little bit because it is honestly one of my favorite things to do. And, uh, I was a little frustrated this year because I didn't get to go out and shed hunt as much as I would have liked to just because of life. So, uh, yeah. like I know that for me, I like shed hunting so much where I will, I will shed hunt a property that I know I can't even hunt. Uh, even if it's not even close to my main farm, right? Just because I like doing, uh, doing it so much. Do you uh, shed hunt for fun, or is it only on the, the properties that uh, that you hunt? Uh, we do it for fun, um, 100% fun. I do shed hunt the properties I hunt. Um, and I shed – I actually, that's how I gain permission around the properties that I can't hunt to get on them to see what deer are doing. Um, like on my neighboring properties, I'll knock on their doors and I'm sure they get tired of me knocking on their doors every February. Um, but they usually say yes to go look for antlers because, um, a lot of the farmers get the farmers around here hate deer. I mean, they absolutely despise whitetails. Um, so they let me go walk their fields, walk their woods and find the antlers because they don't want their tractor tires getting popped. Yeah. Yeah. So I gain, I've got a lot of properties that I shed hunt that I, I can never deer hunt, Yeah. but they're all, they also neighbor the properties that I do hunt. Right. So yes, I do do that. I mean, I'm obsessed. It's, it's right up there with deer hunting, shed hunting is. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, Same it's, here. It's right up there. So when so, you, uh, I look forward to it. On the properties that you hunt, and you mentioned that the the property you might not be able to hunt it, but you or, but you can shed hunt it. Um, mm-hmm. What do, when you find an antler, uh, maybe on a neighboring property, what does that tell you? What what kind of data are you getting out of it? What kind of data are are you hoping to get out of it? Um. I just like, I like knowing what's around. Yeah. Um, and then what that does is it kind of tells me like, okay, we've got some nice bucks around here and past experience tells me, um, cause with that main farm I hunt, my neighbor and I share information year round. Yeah. Um, probably I'm, I'm lucky to have a neighbor like him cause he owns all the surrounding properties of my little 75, 80 acres that I hunt. Okay. Yep. So we share, we have the same hit list bucks. We got together a few years ago and said, Hey, like, are you down to share? Like, you know, we're only shooting four year olds. Um, we want them to be a certain caliber. And then we're going to have a list of gear that we, you know, want in a sense, like, you know, Hey, these are management deer. Like we don't mind bringing in other people to shoot these deer. Yeah. Um, so we got on the same page a few years ago, but anyways, with that being said, the reason I shed hunt other properties is because we had one shooter, one deer in particular that I hunted for almost four years. His range was like six or seven miles. That's I mean, nuts. this deer would be in our, yeah, he would be in our valley for a week. And then he had another farm, you know, five miles away, like the way the crow flies five miles. And we would have trail camera pictures of him there. So he had a five, six mile loop. Was that so a, a main drainage? 
Yeah, it's a big creek that runs down into the Ohio. I hunt, I hunt right on the edge of the Ohio River. Okay. So I'm like within a mile at most away from the Ohio River on the majority of my hunting spots. Okay. So when, for, for this particular buck that was traveling, uh, you know, multiple, multiple miles, you know, five, five, six miles, you don't, you don't really think unless you're down in Kansas or Nebraska or one of those wide open states that a buck will be traveling that far. Um, I'm, I know that in Iowa, uh, for the most part, if a deer is on trail camera, I know he's probably within a mile, maybe two miles from the, uh, from the house or, for, or not from the house, from the, uh, from the property that I hunt. So, you know, yeah. uh, this year I've had, I, I keep hearing these stories about these bucks who are, they're going, I think the, the, this, uh, oh, this, this guy on the podcast killed a buck that, uh, the story of Uno on that podcast. And he was going all over the place. Oh, now listen to that one. Yeah. That buck was going all over the place as well. Um, so did that, uh, like that was a hit lister buck. And once you find out, found out that he was going multiple miles away, did you try to change your strategy on how to intercept him? No, he was, a, he was actually extremely predictable as a four year old is when he was doing his, uh, big loops. Um, he ended up getting harvested by the neighbor at seven and a half, almost, we were guessing seven and a half, eight and a half years old. Okay. Um, he ended up getting harvested and his home core shrinked like at four, he was traveling extreme distances. Yeah. And then at five, it wasn't as far at six, at six, he got shot in the neck by the neighbor, uh, his arrow deflected and we never found him. And, uh. I saw him later that year during the last week in the gun season and didn't have a good clean shot. So I didn't take it. But, uh, and then the following summer he got sick. I mean, that's how we, you know, we run trail cameras a lot. Yeah. He got sick. So his rack didn't get big as big as he normally was, but he was still like 142 inch eight pointer, but he went way downhill, but he was a very predictable deer. I never really, I never changed up my, strategy because i knew where he would be usually in a week's time frame so i was like well i saw him here last year for you know two or three hunts so i would just adjust my stand locations a little bit per year to try to get a little bit closer to where he was right and that's how i you know i never got ended up getting a shot at him unfortunately but that's yeah. how it goes sometimes gotcha so you mentioned that uh you, for the most part, you have access to about 80 acres. That's your main farm? On that, on that farm. Well, okay. that's my main farm, yes. Main farm. How many acres total do you have access to? Um, if you combine my deer and turkey hunting spots, it's a couple thousand. All right. So uh, what about just deer, just bow hunting? Just bow hunting... I acquired the farm I killed this buck on this year was is around 200 acres. Um, I've got 50 acres across the street, which only 25 of its woods. And then I've got the 80 acres in Mockport. And then I've got another 150 acres I just recently acquired right there by my house. So I've got about 400 acres within two miles of my house that I just got permission to hunt 
Oh, that's year. awesome. That's awesome, man. That's one thing that oh, I, it's amazing. I need yeah. to do again is get out and try to knock on some doors. But I live in a county that has uh, two big cities in it, I, big for Iowa standards, and uh, every property yeah. – Every property is uh, is spoken for for the most part, and uh, the public here is just hammered all season long. All season yeah. long, it's it's hammered, and uh, so that's one yeah. thing I got to do is get out and do some door knock. And I think shed hunting season might be a perfect opportunity for me again. Uh, that's that's what I like about Man, sh- I, I shed use hunting. That. Yeah, yeah. Just that's to get what your foot I use in the to door. Get access, man. Yeah, just get access. So it's it's a it's a go to for me. Yeah, it works pretty well. Yep. I'm not a bashful person, so it kind of helps. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. These, I, I get these whenever yeah. I talk about shed hunting or gaining access to farms. I get these people uh, who they're like, "Hey, man, I, I just have a hard time going knocking on someone's door," and I'm just like, "Well." <laughs> tell me the address <laughs> I'll, I'll go get permission yeah. on it you know what i mean like well oh oh man i the that's funny because the property that i got permission to hunt on this year um i've i got i recently got onyx maps last year yeah i pay i pay for the yearly subscription on it yep um and it it really man it helps a lot mm-hmm. i'm not gonna lie to you but it made me intrigued about this particular farm. And I said, there's no way this guy's going to say yes, but what's it going to hurt to go knock on his door? Um, what's the worst, you know, what's the worst somebody's going to say is no. Yeah. You say, okay, well, thanks. Have a nice day. You turn around, you drive off. Yep. I mean, it's not, you didn't kneel, no harm, no foul. You didn't do anything bad. You didn't come in there, you know, squalling tires. I mean, it's, you know, it's just got to be calm about it. And I always try to dress, my key thing is when I'm asking for permission for anything, I dress nice, blue jeans, my work shirts, you know, polos. Yep. I wear a nice coat. You know, I'm not showing up camoed out, covered in mud, or just got done working on the farm. You know, I show up, try to look as nice as I can, and just be polite is the main thing. And, I mean, he wasn't – I didn't think he was going to say yes, and he just finally was like, you know what? He's like, as long as you call me and let me know when you're coming, he's like, you're more than welcome to come. Yeah. I was like – Oh my gosh. Like, I can't believe you just said yes. Yeah. You know, this is crazy um, because I have found that I've gotten success a a different way. And that's when I dress like like a farmer wearing muck boots or, uh, you know, know, big work boots and and wearing a coat that looks like I've been working. And for some reason, that that look, you know, I'm still polite. I'm still, you know, I don't have chewing tobacco mm-hmm. in my mouth. I don't, I'm not drunk, you know, like yeah. I'm, 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 I'm presentable. <laughs> it's just that I look like I've been working. And, uh, I think when you yeah. can relate on a visual level to, you know, th- those, you know, the farmer, you know, cause the majority of the people who own land out here, uh, where I'm at, uh, are still farming it or they're, they're old and they're, they're cash renting it out. So, you know, I can relate and get access yeah. that way. But, uh, um, I want to talk right now about the terrain in Southern Indiana, um, because I've mm-hmm. driven through Northern Indiana and I've, I've driven through Southern Indiana before too, but is it two different worlds, Northern Indiana and Southern Indiana? Uh, very much so. Yes. Um, the Northern half of the state, um, is flat. Mm-hmm. I mean, flat flat um it's got some creek drainages and stuff like that but it's 
you know, until you get up farther north, like closer to Michigan up there, South Bend, um, a little bit north of Fort Wayne, there's a lot of hills, like some lake towns up there that have some good hills, uh, but they're still rolling hills. Down here in southern Indiana, it's almost like I compare it a lot to the Smoky Mountains um, because they're just super steep hills. Like some of them you can't even walk. Yeah. They're so steep. Yeah. And they go straight, straight up and down, and you just can't, you know, you can't access them. Yeah. Yeah. So, but then you get to the very tops of them, and they're these huge, wide open hardwood ridges. So it's, yeah, it's very, very hilly down here. And then up north, it's just a, it's a different world. You get about right, probably, I'd say Columbus, a little bit north of Brown County, and it just flattens out. So that's the, the big egg location in the state yes yeah okay we have a lot of ag down here but there's smaller ag fields right so um is the deer hunting better in the southern part of the state then depends on who you talk to i guess yeah (laughs) yeah um i've hunted in fort wayne i've lived in fort wayne which is way up north um a buddy of mine hunts in lafayette and he's been on some nice ones all year which is the northern part of the state um, but he's hunting a lot of those creek bottoms, uh, ag locations that have a lot of creeks running through them, so they have a lot of hill and cover to hide in. Um, but the southern half of the state just—I've seen some giants down here. Yeah. Uh, I know a lot of my friends have seen some giants. I've got some friends, you know, that have killed some big ones. And I mean, the woods and the hills are so thick, you just—you don't anything could show up. Right. anything could show up that you've never had on camera before yeah so it's just it's crazy down here i mean you never know what you're going to get yeah so. is, is there much public ground down there for people to access actually yeah we have quite a bit indiana's got a lot of public property okay. um the regulations uh rules and regulations are different on public than they are for private but they're uh there's still quite a bit of public i mean there's like a 12 or 1300 public property piece right by my house okay actually okay so, i just don't hunt it right and that's the thing like i mean i i would rather knock on doors all day long uh than than i'm not going to say be reduced because it makes it sound like public land hunting is not as good well my experience it, it, here in iowa it's not i mean iowa has no public land compared to the rest of the states right i think we are we are at the yeah. bottom if not the bottom state for the least amount of public land every single acre is and and that's that's with me having i want to say 3600 acres straight like a mile and a half south of me that i have access to mm-hmm. but just like a majority of you know pennsylvania they have a, a decent amount of public land. Uh, Michigan, they have a decent amount of public land, but it gets hammered, right? Because they have a lot of uh, yeah, lot yeah. a lot of hunters in Iowa. We we have hardly any public land, so it still feels like it's highly pressured, even though we have less less hunters, right? So being yeah being in that uh, in that uh, that driving range from those two big cities, you know, there's a lot of people out there during the uh, bow season and gun season and uh, that's why for me, I found over the years, just, you know, if you put in the time and you go knock on a lot of doors, you're going to get access to a farm still in Iowa. If you put your, if you put your time in and if you can, uh, uh, be relatable, you know, 
the farmer's going to be like, yeah, well, just don't get in any, anybody else's way. Because like you just said, deer do a lot of damage to crops and farmers hate them. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We've got a couple of farmers that anybody and their brother go knock on the door and he'll say, yes, it's almost worse than public property. <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> I, I, I kid you not. I mean, he, he lets, I mean, I could say his name and probably half the people in Southern Indiana have permission to hunt his farm, but <laughs> it's, it's, and the thing is, is when you get permission, you think you're the only person that has permission. Right. So that's what makes it even more dangerous. I mean, we shed antler hunt it, but I quit. I quit deer hunting that probably when I was 17, 17 yeah. or 18. I mean, I'll hunt it on occasion, but it's it's usually a rare, rare occasion. Right, right. So. All right, so let's talk about this year. Um, and you mentioned you start the season off kind of uh, doing your shed hunting. Uh, and then mm-hmm. in I, I take you turkey hunt, and then you get your trail cameras out. Um, what... Uh, what did your trail cam? What do your trail cameras usually tell you on the farms that you hunt? Um, they kind of tell me the because the trail cameras. You know, like I said, I share a lot of information with the neighbor. Right. So he'll tell me when he's getting pictures. I tell him when I'm getting pictures, and it really helps us put the loop together in the summertime. And then almost every year, mid September, it just clicks the deer shed their velvet and then they go into like hibernation mode for a couple weeks and then we don't start we have to start switching our cameras around like the majority of people that run trail cameras the scrapes and stuff like that but um it just really gives us an idea we mainly inventory it like okay he's back he's back this year he's a four-year-old you know okay the particular buck i was after this year was named joker you know he was i actually sent you a picture of him saying hey this is you know pretty good size indiana eight pointer since y'all were talking about big eight pointers yeah and uh and that ended up he ended up getting harvested he didn't die of ehd but he got harvested by the neighbor's buddy um well, that is a good buck. yeah that's a real good eight pointer yeah he was wide. Uh, i think he, yeah he scored 152 i think is what they said he scored oh my lord as an eight that's a big eight pointer yeah um so yeah he's a stud yeah so okay um now before we started recording you mentioned something about ehd hitting pretty hard uh walk us through how you identified that and you know how hard did it actually hit the farms you hunt um a lot of people were saying a lot of their deer were disappearing i started noticing that we had I had one in particular deer that was a daily, daily show up on my camera. I mean, it was, I had hundreds upon hundreds of pictures of him. He just quit showing up. And the neighbor said, yeah, we've got a 10 pointer that also quit showing up out of nowhere. And we ended up finding him dead of VHD right down by a Creek. Cause you know, they like to kind of be close to water yep. is the rumor and like kind of the theory they want to die close to water. A lot of people were posting videos, EHD, and just the numbers. And it happened le- closer to deer season, like really close to deer season. Like we hit a really bad drought right before October. Yeah. And like the first week of October was 90 degrees down here. I mean, oh, it was hot, hot, hot. And uh, we just, I was not seeing deer. Like, I mean, I'm talking spots where you normally would sit and see 10 to 15 deer sit. 
you know, you're lucky to see two or three deer. And it was just, yeah, it was bad. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it's been a, it's been a tough, you know, been a tough season for sure. Yeah. So, uh, you also mentioned that, uh, you know, with that trail or summer trail camera data, uh, you identified uh, a couple shooters and did you get confirmation mm-hmm. that they were dead or how did you know that, uh, they were, they were gone? Yeah. Two of them were, two of them were dead. We're, we haven't found one. So, I mean, I guess he's not, we don't know for sure, but we're, we're expecting right after season when we go really looking, looking. Yeah. Because like I said, it happened so close to season, but we found one, there was, we had three shooters for sure that were consistent. Yeah. And, uh, one of them, the neighbor actually found was a nice 10 pointer. And then the other one was a really nice 10 pointer with some kickers and he's the one that was a daily show up on my trail camera and he just never he never came back and he was a very he's a very consistent homebody deer he makes this loop i mean very close you know he's always in our valley uh we have a big creek valley and uh he always runs this big loop and he just he's not showing up i mean he was a five-year-old deer and we've had you know the last three years he's done the same thing so for him to you know, I mean, deer do it. So, I mean, maybe he might come back, but yeah. we're guessing it's EHD. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, you know, I have had the same experiences where a deer will be on a, on a, almost a clock saying, oh, well, he's going to show up the first week of this month and then he'll disappear here and then he'll come back. And uh, typically when, when they, you know, a three-year-old, four-year-old, and when they're five and they don't do that, something something's not right although i've had deer come back the following year where they disappear an entire year no trail camera pictures of them and then they come back completely like it's like they yeah they said i'm gonna try something new this year and they went and who who knows who knows what what it is but um yeah they're they're funny creatures yeah that's so for sure did uh did knowing that ehd hit uh the area hard have anything with you to do with you going out and trying to gain access to new farms? Yeah. Um, it actually did. I was, I just really wanted to branch out and hunt other farms that I haven't been working on, you know, and, uh, don't have a lot of, you know, I didn't have any history with deer. I wasn't concerned about, you know, what I shot, who else was hunting. I just wanted to be like, you know, just, go hunt and have fun, mm-hmm. you know, just cause so a lot of times, you know, sometimes I, and I'm really bad of it. I get hung up on that. Oh, it wasn't a four year old deer. Oh, you know, I should have gave it another year. And a lot of people get hung up on that antler size and the age structure. And I just really, this year for me was about having fun, especially after I found out all the EHD, cause there's nothing you can do about EHD. There's nothing you're, you're helpless. I mean, yeah. Once it hits and it takes hold, you know, you're just praying that deer survive. And so I just was like, you know what? I don't want to pressure that farm anymore than I have to. I'm going to stay off of it and let those two-year-old bucks that I know survived, I'm going to let them just hang out there so they don't run off to the neighbors and get shot during gun season. Um, So that's what we did. You know, I I had food plots planted and everything else, and I just... I've not hunted it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's I was uh, like, let's go old school running gun. Yeah. 
and we're going to get into that, but I got a little yeah. statistic that I heard uh, that EHD, you know, only roughly 10% of cases get reported. And in the county south of me, where I um, south of my main farm, it's one of the most coveted counties in the entire state to have a farm on. Uh, one of them in the state of Iowa. Uh, a lot of big names go there to hunt. A lot of, uh, you know, outfitters down there. Uh, just huge bucks come out of that county every year because it's just it's got the it's got the soil, it's got the cover, and it's managed now. So um, yeah. that that county had 600 reports. That means that if that means that roughly 6,000 deer potentially based off of the 10% report reporting uh, data that 6,000 deer died because of EHD in that County uh, this summer. So that's, that's great. That, that to me is just an, a crazy number. And um, I really, I really want to give like the DNR kudos because they, they have to go out and use data like that to, uh, you know, base harvest numbers off of things like that you know what i mean so it's just like uh, we yeah we've had 600 deer be reported that they've died of ehd or they found dead due to what we think are is ehd then they have to do all this calculation Mm -hmm. and then they got to do the research and then they got to say well okay uh we have to we can only give a lot this many tags to this county because that's how it works in iowa is you get your statewide tag and then you get um you buy your doe tags per county so uh, your statewide buck tag and then your doe tags have to have so like if i want to hunt in in the county that i live i have to buy that county's doe tag and then if i want to go to my main farm i have to buy another county's doe tag so um so i just feel that would be a real hard job to try to calculate all of those all those numbers just you know when when a big disease comes through how do you know if you're even doing the right thing man yeah i mean the rdnr i be, they actually we they implemented a, a special doe season a few years back and i just i hated it because it was a late doe season to try to reduce our deer numbers mm-hmm. um and i don't really know why but they did i I never really participated in it, honestly. Um, I just didn't believe in it, to be honest. And, um, but they, now it's only in certain counties that they're allowing it this year because of EHD. Yeah. So they lowered the doe harvest numbers per county. They, you know, because they had already printed the books off, um, the DNR books. And so they had to make a Facebook post and put it online that, hey, you know, you're no longer allowed to kill eight does in this county. You're only allowed to kill two. I think the biggest, the largest amount of does you were allowed to kill in Indiana this year were two does. So yeah. they, they recognize the fact that EHD did hit a lot harder than people anticipated, I guess. Yeah. So I'm glad they did that. Yeah, so. absolutely. So EHD comes through, you find out that you don't mm-hmm. have the hit listers that you want you know, the mature, the caliber of deer that you want on the farm that you spend most of your time on. So you kind of jumped off and started bouncing around. Um, was this, was this run and gun style new to you or is it, was it something that you had already been doing in past seasons? Um, 
I didn't really acquire public property until or private property until after a year or two after high school. Um, so I I grew up hunting public ground with my dad, uh, archery hunting, a lot of public property and nothing but climbers. And we would be like, hey, let's just go walk in back here and find a spot to hang, you know, climb a tree and sit. And, uh, you know, this is before Onyx and all that stuff. Yeah. So we would just show up, get the map of the public property. You know, we hunted a lot of Patoka Lake properties, which is the Army Corps engineers actually plants a bunch of ag. Like, it's really cool. Um, it's really good property, actually. It's As far as public property goes, it's pretty pretty lucrative. Um, I mean, I've always killed deer. Um, you know, killed uh, – I got a full velvet I killed in Kentucky in 2007 on public property. And I've got a nice, nice eight pointer I killed on public property um, in 2005. But you know, I mean, I've always been, I've always had climbers. But um, since I went private, I've switched to hangers, and it would be, you know, I'd hunt the same stands, and yeah, uh, I kind of got spoiled hunting private property. Yeah. So it was a, it was a bit of a switch to go back to the running gun style. Yeah, so you did. Was it something that you had to relearn, or was it something that you had to get new equipment for? Uh, no, actually, um, I made a couple mistakes uh, this year, setting up in the wrong trees, um, getting in trees I couldn't climb real high because I had climbers. I didn't have like I think your setup, from what I see, and a lot of people's setups were those speed sticks in the hang-ons. Um, and I've got, you know, so you can get into a lot different of a tree where all I had was, I've got multiple climbers. I actually have three. I've got a couple, I've got a summit viper, a tree walker and an API bow hunter stand that I got. Um, so I've got three climbers. So you have to find a really good straight tree to climb up and get a decent height then. Um, well, the problem on a couple of my farms is the trees, they've been logged, so these properties have been logged a lot. Okay. So to find a good tree close enough to where you want to be at was very difficult. So it was a definitely a learning curve a little bit to get back into it. Like, okay, well you don't have to get 25 feet in the air to kill a deer. You can get 10 to 15 feet and be okay with it. So I had to like get my mindset. Okay, you don't have to be 25 feet, so you're okay. Just climb 10, 10, 12 feet. Just get above that tree, you know, get above that canopy so you can see down, and you'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. So it was a, it was a little bit of a learning curve, but, I mean, it, it comes back to you pretty quick. Yeah. So uh, why don't you share a quick story of failure, like uh, setting up in the wrong tree, <laughs> maybe. what I take it you got busted? Yeah, um, I got busted. I was... I, was gonna, I was on the fence on whether I was going to pass this deer. I was actually on that brand new farm I was hunting. Uh, I got all my maps and I looked where it went out. There's a big power line cut I could access on any west, any, any westerly wind. I could access through this power line cut. It was almost a mile back on this property. And um, you could access the um, any on any westerly wind. So I walked back there found a good tree and um set up a camera and was like okay i'm gonna it's a good spot there's a bunch of old scrapes uh and it was there wasn't any new sign yet it was mid mid october is like i think 
four days after I got permission to hunt it and uh, climbed up in climbed up in here and thinking, you know, I was going to have a good good setup, climbed up, a couple trees, so I cut a couple shooting lanes, got back down, and I left. I didn't hunt that day because I was just setting up my tree stand and uh, went back, and I got skunked that day. And but I could see deer. I could like, I could hear deer walking, but I couldn't really see them over a little further up the hillside. So a week or two later went by, and I climbed up in there, and I didn't get very high in the tree, and a really nice ten pointer was working into me. And uh, he's probably a hundred and thirty inch ten pointer, I'd say. Not a giant, but like I said, this was I was going back to hey, you know change your standards a little bit for this year um and you know if you see a nice buck just shoot it you know don't don't be too picky and so i was going back and forth whether i was going to shoot him or not and i when i went to stand up that deer looked right at me so he had you pegged oh looked right at me i couldn't move and he got panicky and he just went off down the ridge and blowing the whole way. And I was like, well, that was humbling. Why, why <laughs> was it because you were too low or did you have no backdrop? How did he pin you so easy? Um, I had backdrop, but I think I was just too low. And, um, the, the way I was set up in the, because I was further down the hill than I'd like. So when they're coming off the top of the hill, they were a lot closer to eye level than I wanted to be. Gotcha. But I couldn't get any higher, and this was the best tree um, that I found. So it was just when he was coming down, and I picked the wrong time to stand up. And it, because his head was down, I was like, okay, I got time to stand up. And as soon as I went to stand up, he just whoop, looked right up at me like, you're not a squirrel. <laughs> so, yeah, I I've like, been there, man. I've definitely been there. Yeah. All right. So, you know, you're bouncing around these new farms. Um, did, and, and you're, you're, I take it you brought some trail cameras in uh, to these new farms? I did. I brought... I brought two because he said he had a couple guys that gun hunted the property. Okay. Um, so I didn't want to get too crazy. He told me where they hunted, so I stayed out of there. Um, I didn't want to. I didn't want to impose. Very first time I get permission on a property, I don't want to impose. I'm like, where's everybody else hunting? Yeah. You know, where can I hunt? Like, yeah. if I'm willing to walk and put in those miles to get back there, if you know, I think it's going to be worth it. Right. And. Uh, so I took one camera in the back, and I had one up, one closer to the front. Um, I set the one camera up on a big, fresh scrape, like one of those community scrapes everybody talks about, where it's just huge. Like, you know not one deer made that scrape. It was a couple different deer making this scrape. Right. And uh, I had it up there for a couple weeks and went back in, you know, right before gun season because I wanted to hunt it one more time before – uh gun season really kicked off and had another encounter with a nice buck um didn't come close enough and didn't have the right wind to grunt or call at him and he went off but when i got down and checked my camera somebody had actually taken the card god damn it so yeah <laughs> and but that scrape, I, that i'm scrape sorry was destroyed I just like so, I just yeah. got a lot of anxiety hearing that because 
Dude, that, yeah, that, that shit pisses irritating. me off more. I'm like, take the whole goddamn camera at that point because. Oh, why? Yeah. Why leave the camera? Why leave the, the camera? what I want. Like, so you're still, you're still a good person because you took the, you know, it's like, well, I tell you what, I'm just going to take the card. I'm going to leave the camera there. Uh, I mean, unless it was, <laughs> was it cabled to the tree? No, I, no, I, I, my theory on it is, is if they really want it, they're going to take it one way or the other. Yeah. So I'm just going to put it, I'm going to set it up the way I always set them up, you know, and yeah. if you really want it that bad, you can have it. Yeah. So. Leave the uh, leave the but card. No, they didn't take it. So the, so they were trespassing yeah, or car. something or God damn, I man, I just get so yeah, pissed. I told the landowner. I get so I pissed. I told the landowner and he goes, Well, it's none of my guys and I said, Yeah, well it happens. He's like, Well, if you catch somebody back there, you make sure you tell me. Well lo and behold, I it triggered something in me, to be honest with you, Dan. I mean, I literally said, You know what? I used to deer hunt all the time without trail cameras. Yeah. I didn't get into trail cameras until probably four, you know, probably five or six years ago, I guess. Yeah. Um, and I was like, you know, you, you used to hunt without trail cameras all the time. So why don't you just get back out there and just hunt? You know, just, you said you were just going to hunt this year. So just get out there and hunt. Yeah. And, uh, so I just, I've got all my cameras sitting in my office at the house now. I've, I've pulled them all. Man. I've got one buddy of mine that still has, I let him borrow one cause he's just now getting back into deer hunting. So I said, Hey, you know, I've got an extra stand. Here's a stand. Here's a camera. Have at it. Yeah. Uh, what really sucks though up, about this whole thing yeah. is that someone who's a douchebag now has made you alter what you love to do. Right. Because you don't want any more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's the point of having a trail camera if it's sitting in your garage? You know what I mean? Like, I, no, that, I'm, yeah, I that's, agree. that's what pisses me off is because I, and I'm, I had to do the same thing this year as well, uh, is I took trail cameras out of the area that they were stolen last year because I didn't want any more stolen and it's a good place to have a trail camera. And it really pisses yeah. me off that, um, you know, and I hate, you know, there's a lot of people out there that say, oh dude, if I ever catch him, I'm gonna beat the shit out of him right there. No, man, I'm going to call the sheriff and I'm going to ruin their fucking life yeah. because I want to see them pay for what they've done to, you know, for whatever, because yeah. I, I have a feeling I know who the guy is, but, uh, I have no evidence or anything like that. So, you know, I've tried to put cell cameras out there hoping that uh, he'll walk in front of one of the cell cameras and, and that way I can instantly call the sheriff or the DNR officer and say, hey, he's doing it right now. So, ooh, yeah, that just pissed me off. That cell camera sends it to you, right? Well, see, a couple of years ago, I had a stand, I had a stand and a trail camera get stolen. Like, off private property, yep. um, like, three quarters of a mile back and i think it was a logging company that was back there doing some work saw it and i'd been seeing the heck out of some deer back there but i i just quit hunting it because i was like you know i'm not even gonna put any of my stuff back there yeah because somebody's gonna steal it right and it was a it was a farm i've hunted since i was young and i'm allowed to take people with me so i was using that farm during bow season to go hunt with some friends and somebody ended up, I went back there to hunt one evening and my stand was gone. 
so was my camera. And I went, well, this is great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's part of it. I mean, unfortunately, there's just people out there that are dicks. Take your stuff and. Yeah. Yeah. That's the best way to put it. Yeah. So, okay. Um, but, I need to calm down now. But, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you. Uh, you you start hunting this season and just like real quick walk me through the the archery season um it was tough uh i normally harvest a doe first week or two of season to get it get my meat in the freezer and get it out of the way and get that monkey off your back yep um you know draw first blood and i don't like i i want to shoot them early so they're not bred and, uh, I did not, I, I just really didn't have any opportunities at any mature does to shoot during archery season. I mean, I had some encounters, you know, with that 10 pointer on that new property. Um, I had encounters with this ugly seven pointer on my main farm that we were all considering shooting because of EHD and we knew he was going to be breeding the main breeder out there because he's a pretty good size three and a half year old buck. And you know, them three and a half year old bucks are just crazy. Yep. So I had a, had an encounter with him and I had elected to pass on him, uh, which obviously good thing I did. Um, cause you're only allowed one buck in Indiana. Okay. So, uh, it's a one buck state. Yeah. So makes a lot of guys a lot more picky. Um, but so I let I let him go and you know is my good spot so I don't shoot those out of this particular spot um, and I didn't see any rutting action this year until the week before gun season in my hunt spots. Okay, and when's that? Which gun season opened up? Uh, gun season opened up this year, November seventeenth. Okay, I believe. Okay, late rut. So he opened up. Yeah, November seventeenth. Um. I'm trying to look real quick on my calendar now that, yeah, no, it was November 16th. Okay. That, uh, and I didn't even see any writing action until the 9th, 10th, and 11th. I was off work. Got you. Um, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, I took, took a four day weekend and I finally started seeing some decent action, but it was all young bucks and three year olds. Um, and it just, it really was disheartening to be honest with you. I mean, I just, yeah yeah man tough year i mean you know everybody thinks that there is a you know i talk to a lot of people uh through chat on instagram you know phone calls and you know everybody thinks that everybody kills deer every year just off the just off what you see on instagram or facebook Mm -hmm. or whatever but i've talked to a lot of people who said that they had a rough year this year and i think a lot of it had to do with and i've i've beat this horse to death but standing crops in uh throughout Mm -hmm. the throughout the midwest right standing standing crops all over the midwest late harvest uh wet weather all that stuff um so archery season kind of goes by and uh you, you just you're not getting you didn't get anything. Um, now let's get into no. the story of this this buck that you ended up harvesting. Um, archery season goes by. You decide to pick up the muzzle loader, and uh, what was your what was your goal with the muzzle loader? Well, <clears throat> backtrack. 
real quick. Yep. Um, archer season goes back. We actually, on private property, you can use a, the majority of your rifle calibers in Indiana now. They legalize that. Okay. But it's only on private property. Um, so we have Indiana's gun season is three weekends, two full weeks of rifle hunting or gun hunting. Um, and I went that entire season. I ended up harvesting two does, um, two does with my rifle, uh, both at really long distance, like hundred and well long for me. I mean, some people shoot deer way longer distances, but I shot one at 150 and one at 170 yards. Wow. Um, yeah. And it was, I mean, they, they taste good. So that's all that matters. Um, but then, so I ended up getting that and I actually ended up losing a nice eight pointer that I shot, um, which nobody likes to talk about that. The ugly side of hunting. Yeah. Um, we, we had a big windstorm come through the day before Thanksgiving and I was hunting that new farm actually exactly where I shot the buck I ended up harvesting. Okay. Um, uh, the farmer, or not the farm's landowner, he's not a farmer. Um, he, I called him up and he said, Hey man, nobody's hunting this year for some reason. He's like, so if you really want to hunt, you know, feel free, just make sure you call me and I'll let you know if anybody's hunting. And I said, Oh heck yeah. You know, that's awesome. Yeah. So I got my gun and it was 50 mile an hour wind gust that day. Whew. And I said, I'm not getting in a tree. I'm just going to go sit on the ground over here where I really want to check this spot out. It's on the backside of the CRP field, big grown up CRP field that goes down into this crop field. And, uh, I said, I'm gonna go check this out. So I sat there and I waited until daylight to walk in because, you know, when you're going into a new spot, I'm, I'm not, I like to get in early if I know where I'm going. Yeah. If I don't know where I'm going, I like to wait until daylight. Yeah. Um, so it was seven o'clock. I sat down, got set up. The wind was howling, and I looked down, and here comes this nice three-and-a-half-year-old three 125, 130-inch eight-pointer, and I said, heck, yeah, you know, I'm taking him. Yeah. I wasn't real excited. Um, I was calm, but um, he unfortunately got too close, which I know doesn't make sense, but with a three oh eight rifle, you don't want him real close. Okay. Uh, and... I took the shot. He was hard quarter and two and I hit him low. I'm pretty sure. Uh, but I tracked him well over, I ended up gridding. I turned on my tracker on my Onyx map and I ended up gridding over 10 miles looking Ooh. for that deer. That so sucks. that was, that was pretty deflating. Um, not going to lie. <laughs> yeah. We've all uh, been there, man. I looked, yeah, I looked and, I mean, he wasn't a giant, but just anyways, you never want to wound an animal ever. Right. And it, it was, yeah, it was pretty disheartening, but, um, I decided, you know, okay, we have a week off where you can't gun hunt. You can still archery hunt, but you can't gun hunt. There's five days, no hunting. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to get the muzzleloader out and I'm going to hunt late season, Yeah, which we have three weekends uh, three weekends, two full weeks of muzzleloader season as well. So deer get hunted pretty hard yeah, <laughs> down I here. It. I believe it. So, yeah, so we um, got my muzzleloader out. Um, 
which I typically don't muzzleloader hunt, to be honest. Like, I own one, but I I very rarely get that muzzleloader out to hunt because I'm usually burnt out or I'm not in it as good as I should be or I don't feel like sighting in the muzzleloader, so I'll just take my bow out because I'm very confident with my bow and arrow. Yeah. Uh, so I got the muzzleloader out, um, sighted it in, and went out quite a few times. I mean – muzzleloader hunting but like i said just we are not seeing the deer that we normally see around here right so right yeah we get up into muzzleloader season and um i called the called the landowner and it was this wednesday obviously um when i sent you that picture i shot him and uh i said hey mark you know is anybody hunting and he goes nope have at it have fun good luck and i said okay cool and got off work early. Um, I was working here in town. I've got a couple of big jobs here in town. I'm working, and I use that DeerCast app uh, that the Drury's came out with. Uh, hunt stand or whatever it was that is. Not showing, hunt stand. Uh, hunt cast. No, not or, hunt stand. DeerCast. DeerCast. Yeah, yeah, hunt cast. DeerCast. Something like that. Uh, but it, I mainly use it honestly for the wind direction because it's super accurate on their wind direction and their timetables with right. the wind direction. And it was saying I had a really good west-northwest wind to go back to that same spot where I'd shot that eight-pointer. And the setup on it is two big draws that come up to this big CRP field that lead out to this crop field, right? Yeah. And in my mind, I said, that's going to be a really good staging area for any deer to come up this point and work that point into that CRP and go out into that crop field. So I should really go out there and get set up, you know, earlier the better, but the earliest I could get out there is, you know, 2.30, 2.45, get set up by 3. Yeah. And I actually elected to take a climber in there this time. Okay. Where, you know, last time I told you I took, I just sat on the ground because of the weather. So I'm walking back there and... Yeah, it's cold. I mean, it's 20-something degrees, I think. Yeah. And it's pretty, one of the coldest days of the year, I think, and uh, for down here anyways. And I'm walking in, and I notice there's still a bunch of persimmon trees, like holding persimmons, which is odd. And there's a bunch of persimmons. I was like, oh, that's going to be good. You know, it's going to be good. going to be a good evening. And uh, the clouds are breaking. Some starting to peek through. So I get set up, and... I get set up in a cluster of maples, but I could only get 12 foot high again. But I figured it was okay because I was at the top of the hill. I get 12 foot high and I could see both draws going down into this point. Yeah. And, uh, I was like, man, this is, I really like this spot. You know, have you ever just, have you ever went into a hunting spot and just oh, been yeah. like, this gut feeling. feels like a good spot. Yeah, absolutely. yeah. Like a gut feeling. This feels like a good spot. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm pretty pumped. I, uh, was texting some buddies of mine after I got set up in a tree and he's like, man, you know, what are you going to shoot tonight? And I said, well, hopefully just a deer. I said, and that's honest to God. I went out. I said, I'm just filling my muzzleloader tag. I've never killed a deer with a muzzleloader and I've hunted with one since I was 10 years old. Let's throw that out there. <laughs> I've had a muzzleloader in my hand since I was 10 years old and I've always had something stupid happen. Muzzleloader misfire. You know, the number 11 percussion caps, you remember those, uh, 
they would always fall off that little nipple and the gun wouldn't go off or the powder got wet or I just suck at using a muzzleloader. Yeah. I mean, and uh side note, uh, my father passed away this past June. Okay. And all he, all he ever hunted with was a muzzleloader. That's all he ever hunted with was a muzzleloader. Right. Um, so that's kind of another reason why I wanted to get my muzzleloader out this year. Yeah. And so I get up there and I said, yeah, I'm going to just, you know, I want to fill the freezer. I'm going to shoot, you know, first decent buck that walks by or I'm going to shoot a doe. And, you know, my friends were like, oh man, shoot the first slick head that comes by. And I said, okay, you know, yeah, I will. And I, I looked down and I noticed a really large fresh rub that I did not notice when I was setting my tree stand up literally 15 yards in front of my tree stand. Yeah. And I was like, man, that is a big fresh rub. So then I started looking around and I noticed there was a bunch of fresh rubs that weren't in there Thanksgiving week. Okay. And I was like, that's interesting. And it was a rub line going down to the end of that point that I was telling you, I thought those deer would work up. Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, that's awesome. So I'm sitting there, you know, I get settled. It's three o'clock and I'm playing around on my phone. I'm, I look at the Onyx hunt map. I look at Snapchat, Instagram, you know, I've, first 15 minutes of the stand, I'm just sitting there just kind of relaxing because it's loud in the woods because everything's frozen. So you can hear everything walking. Right. And my thought process anyways. So I'm guilty of always having a phone in my hand. So put the phone up. I look down at 3:10 PM. And I see antlers down on that point that I thought those deer were going to come up. And I went, no way. <laughs> it's not supposed There's to, no way. It's not supposed to work like this. Like, no, like I thought it would work like this, but it never works how you think it's going to work. Right, right. And I look down and I look back in my lap because he was dead to my right of me and I'm right handed. So, you know, that's a that's a really hard shot for a right handed person to shoot dead right you know you have to completely stand up turn around and get situated and it's so early and that deer's just feeding down there on acorns and brows i was like well i'm just gonna sit here and look at him you know and so i was looking i was like oh that's a nice that's a nice 10 pointer okay cool you know i'm I'm definitely gonna shoot this deer you know if he gives me an opportunity and he does he literally read the script dan like couldn't have you couldn't have plotted it out any better the deer starts working up to me never sees me he's about 80 yards out at this point and starts coming up the ridge and turns more and more broadside as he gets in front of me and i was like there's no way this is happening and i honestly thought it was probably a 130 class 10 pointer okay because he didn't have real tall tines and I couldn't see any mass or anything like that. And I knew he wasn't very wide at all. So I was like, I'm still going to take him, you know, nice buck, late season, last week of muzzleloader season. And I've never killed a deer with my muzzleloader. Like, I'm this deer's going to mean a lot to me. So, sorry, sorry. Um, had a work text come in. Yep. Sidetracked. Um, so the deer is working up and he finally gets into a position out in front of me where I'm comfortable enough to get my scope on him to look at him because 
I left my binoculars in my work truck because I used my binoculars while I'm driving around at work to look at deer because I drive a lot for work. Right. So if I see a nice buck, I like to look at him, and I'd forgotten my binoculars in my work truck, so I could only use my scope to look at him. So at this point, this deer is 60 yards away from me with a muzzleloader, and I finally get my scope on him, and I see he has an extra main beam. And I said, okay, that's even cooler. You know, 130 class 10 pointer, extra main beam. Yeah. And that's all I saw. Like I was calm. My heart was beating pretty good, but you know, wasn't anything crazy, but I knew I was about to shoot a nice buck. So I put it on him, pull back, and he's at a walk. I didn't want to stop him because he was only 45, 50 yards at this point. Yeah. You know, so I said, well, put it on his front shoulder, squeeze the trigger. You know, he's in bow range. And put it on his front shoulder, squeeze the trigger, gun goes off, and that deer trots off like nothing happened. <laughs> and I was like, you've got to be shitting me. I just missed that deer at 45, 50 yards. There is no way I missed that deer. So I'm panicking, trying to get my reloads. And about that time, he does the old swaying and just starts wobble staggering and face plants wobble leg face planted and went down into a ditch and i was ecstatic i mean <laughs> i started shaking you know getting the whole buck fever you know i was shaking i was tearing up a little bit you know i was i was jacked now i just thought i shot a nice you know 130 inch 10 pointer yeah so i was jacked you know i was like man first year with a muzzle loader you know it means a lot to me because of my dad and i'm gonna man i'm pumped so i'm waiting i called my best friend danny and he's like well did you see him go down and i said no i can't see him i didn't see him crash but i saw him stagger and face plant he goes well you know the rule and we have a you know i have a rule that you know you hit him you see him going down but you don't see him go down right you still want to give him an hour right and i said yeah you're right he goes philip it's literally 315 <laughs> I got in my stand at three o'clock. <laughs> yeah. He goes, you've got plenty of time. So I was sitting up there and then I finally can see the deer laying down in this ditch. Uh, I could see the blood coming out of his side. So it, you know, that red was a big beacon. So I got my scope on him. I saw he was down. So I down the tree. I went. Yeah. Um, and still, still could not tell what I had shot at this point. Yeah. And, so I get up there, walk up to him, and when I'm walking up to him, there's still a tree blocking this deer's antlers when I'm walking up to him. So I was like, well, I'll get up there in a second. You know, I wasn't too excited because I just thought it was a nice 10-pointer, you know? Like, I wasn't excited to see the rack. I was just excited to get to the deer. Yep. And I ran that corner, Dan, and saw that rack, and oh, my gosh, it was <laughs> – I was speechless. For yeah. 15, I couldn't even touch the deer for 15 minutes. I just sat there and stared at waiting for somebody to jump out and be like, oh, you've been punked. Like, <laughs> got ya. <laughs> sorry, it's not a real deer. Like, this isn't a real deer. Like, and it was, whew, the mass. He doesn't have tall tines, but he's not wide, but the mass on this deer is insane. It's just insane. His right side so, is insane, bro. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yeah, you ain't kidding. <laughs> so so explain was, uh, explain to people what the right side is um it's a double main beam he's a mainframe he's a perfect mainframe 10 pointer he's got 
you know, seven inch, six, seven inch brows. Um, but he's got a double main beam on his right side that comes out perfect and goes up and it meets the tip of his right main beam. And it's just palmated nasty. And he's got another point that comes off that other main beam that kind of does this curly cue downward. And it's crazy. It's gnarly. Yeah. It's gnarly deer. So that, I mean, he is rutted down. He's rutted down to, all get out he was just feeding too like that's yeah. the other thing i'd like to throw out i mean he wasn't cruising this deer was in strict i need nutrients in my body mode yeah yeah so, so he has great brow tines yeah. by the way too yes and i didn't even notice him until we got him home to the garage because yeah. i was so like astonished at the mass and that other main beam and then my buddy goes my gosh man look at those brow tines and yeah. i said holy crap, he does have good brow times. Right. Like, man. So like, you went from yeah. thinking you shot a 130 class 10-pointer to shooting like a what, – what did you guys green score him at? Uh, we green scored him at 171 and 4.8. That's ridiculous. I crapped my pants. So you, sh- you shot a booner. And you can't – yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess it would technically be – well, I don't know what the I don't know what the numbers are in the books anymore. Um, but if you score him non-typical, he's one seventy-one and four eights. If you score him the way the internet says to score non-typical whitetail, he's one seventy-one and four eights. Yeah, uh, that's gross. Now, not net. He yeah, has cares? seven inches of deduction. <laughs> who cares? Yeah, yeah. If you so, grew it, you score it. Man, that is that is absolutely a beautiful animal and. Uh, uh, I take it you're still in shock of what you just shot. Yeah, and down here, you know, I've got a lot of friends, and everybody's everybody's seen the picture of him. You know, they're they're texting it around to each other, and you know, people will be like, "Hey, man, that's a hell of a deer! Congrats!" You know, like, you know, that one you had on trail camera, and I said, "No, guys," I said, "You know, I, it's not. I don't even have a good story for him. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. I guess." The story of that deer is the story of my season is, you know, I just went back to my roots and just was get out there and hunt, Philip. You know, don't don't focus on what you have on camera. Don't focus on, you know, a certain deer. Just get out there and deer hunt and use everything you've learned, you know, to go do it. But just get out there and hunt. And yeah. that's what I did. And it really it paid off. I, I'll never kill a deer that big. <laughs> Again, Don't say that, I mean, man. Don't say if that. I do, yeah, if I, if I do, great, and I'm going to try to. Don't get me wrong, but, I mean, I'm not. I'm definitely not expecting it. I mean, that deer is a – he was a once-in-a-lifetime. You know, that's a – that double main beam, man, it's – it's an, he's just gnarly looking. Yeah, absolutely. So, absolutely. I, I feel blessed. That's for sure. Well, man, congratulations on a, a gorgeous, uh, a gorgeous animal. Um, I know some seasons can be tough, some seasons can be easy, but uh, I have a feeling that uh, as a as a passionate hunter and outdoorsman, you loved every second of it. Oh my gosh, yes, it was. Uh, I'm still loving every second of it, to be honest with you. Uh, it's really got me fired up and got me back in the mood to get back out there. You know, I'm ready for shed season. Um, we've got, I've got a big turkey hunt planet planned this year and I'm planning on going back out elk hunting again 
next year. So I've got 2020 is going to be a, a good year for me. We're going to, I'm going to fly out to Colorado and we're going to turkey hunt our way back. A buddy of mine lives out there. Yeah. And we're going to turkey hunt our way back through Nebraska and Kansas. So. Man, that sounds like a, a, a fun spring. Plus it's shed season coming up too. So you're going to be busy. Oh yeah. Uh, well, congratulations, yes, man. Um, thanks for taking time out of your day to tell this story. I'm going to let you get back to work, but uh, thanks for hopping on, man. Oh, no, thank you, Dan. You have a good day. And that brings us to the end of another Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, man. Huge shout-out to Phil for coming on board and chit-chatting with us about this story. Huge shout-out to all of you for taking time out of your day to uh, listen and share and be part of this uh, community, man. Uh, It's kind of crazy, but this episode, or not this episode, but this podcast and this network have reached over 400,000 people. That's crazy. That could fill a football stadium uh, multiple times, right? The biggest one in the country, I think, is uh, Michigan's stadium, uh, the big house. I think that's like 100,000 people. We could fill that four times with the amount of people who have listened to the Sportsman's Nation. So uh, that's a pretty big community. And uh, I absolutely love that That uh, not only the, the followers, but just the, the communication with one another. Uh, I know guys who have hooked up with guys from other states and who have traded hunts and, and all these things just because um, they've commented or they've met each other on social or uh, through the podcast or the network. And I think that's just absolutely awesome. Um, and one thing I want to say is just imagine now if each one of those 400,000 people gave $1 to, to a conservation effort. That's a big chunk of money that would go a long ways to support uh, a conservation effort or an organization or multiple organizations for that matter. So uh, just think about that because I might be asking you guys in the future uh, to put the money where the mouth is and uh, where your mouth is and uh, uh, I want to raise a shit ton of money for some kind of uh, conservation effort. So with that said, a uh, huge shout out to all of the partners at uh, at the Sportsman's Nation and at, or excuse me, at the Nine Finger Chronicles, Vortex Optics, Lone Wolf Tree Stands, Ripcord Arrow Rests, Wasp Broadheads, Ozonic Scent Elimination, and Prime Archery. Man, please go out and support the companies that support this podcast because I tell you right now, um, without them, this isn't happening. And... Uh, Um, So we got to go out and support those guys so they have enough money to pay me. (laughs) So uh, other than that, man, hopefully everybody has a great Christmas. I'm still going to try to put out a couple podcasts uh, next week. But if I don't, you know why. Uh, Other than that, other than I say other than that a lot. I'm going to try to stop that. But uh, Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Happy Hanukkah. Whatever you celebrate. Kwanzaa. I don't know. Uh, happy. Just have. Just be happy. Celebrate it with friends and family. And if you're going to be in a tree, guys, wear your damn safety harness. Have a good rest of the year. Yeah.